Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James Johnson. I'm here with my co-host... Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth, we have a guest in the studio today, a long-time visitor, somebody who's been on the Dialogic Disciple Podcast perhaps more than anyone else. It such is, an honor, such an honor. It is Reverend Soon-to-Be Doctor Jeff Rogers. Woo! Woo! Jeff, how are you Excited to be here. It's always a blast to be on Dialogic Disciple. <laughs> I think you say the exact same thing every single time. I don't know. Been. I don't know. It would be fun to have a mashup of the, <laughs> the greatest hits. <laughs> we should definitely do that. I think Not a mashup of the worst hits. Though. That would be cool. Probably Those lose the... my job. <laughs> All the That's outtakes. fantastic. Well, we, uh, we are here today to kick off our uh, series of podcasts on the Redemption of Babel, our, our uh, devotional that we put together for the season of Lent here at Northside Church, uh, in connection with our Advent devotional, The Promise of Eden. And the question we try to address in both of these, pod, uh, both these podcasts, both of these uh, devotionals is how should we respond to chaos? Um, we will, we'll all recall that during the season of Advent, um, we explored that question by asking, how does God respond to chaos? And the question, the, the thing that we discovered during our, our Advent series was that God responds to chaos by planting gardens. First, the Garden of Eden, and then gardens of faith in our heart. I have said that so many times over the past six months to a year that uh, it has become part of how I introduce myself to people, I think. Wow. Uh, for the season of Lent, we are going to pivot toward... Um, ourselves, humanity, and how we typically tend to respond to chaos, uh, which is by building cities, something that's much quicker, a shortcut to the garden, if you will. Um, and today we are going to kick off uh, this series with Jeff and have a conversation about, I think probably we should go back and start and talk a little bit about Ash Wednesday and what we did last week, oh. but then move into um, move into the Tower of Babel. Or if you like Mumford and Sons, it's Babel. And that's probably how I'm going to accidentally pronounce it. Do you Babel's love Mumford fun. and Sons? I do. Is that what you're saying? I do. I mean, it must have been. I'm, it's it's always good to know what stage of life were you in when that album came oh, out. Oh, yeah. Mm, it was college? It's, feels right. Yeah. Feels yeah. right. When did that come out? 2011? No, that's too That would that, be later than that. Maybe 20, yeah, yeah, 2012? Uh, maybe. Yeah, because I graduated in 2013. Okay. All and right. it was probably so it was maybe 2013 then it would have been i will wait i will That's right. wait for you is that that album yeah yeah oh i didn't know that yeah. was that album yeah well the well, first we're, we're, their first album was amazing this is not a Muffin sons podcast but let me just now. let me just say sign no more <laughs> is like a great love letter from jesus to everybody i don't know if it's about jesus or not but it could be I remember right when you know you're a you're a baby Christian, as some folks like to say. <laughs> no, when when my faith became real for me, and yeah. when I started uh, becoming passionate about my faith, I remember just seeing the the arc of scripture and the narrative of jesus in everything I was yeah, like, oh, yeah look it's in this song oh it's in this artwork <laughs> oh this movie is actually about jesus <laughs> and now you know what i do for a living so. <laughs> it's exciting it's exciting stuff it is uh you know i think the reason why that happens is is particularly when you first become a christian or whenever your faith is renewed is it you have that crisp lens to mm -hmm. see jesus mm -hmm. in everything and a lot of times that gets cloudy and dusty and 
and we lose that uh, as as we. That's why we need revival. We need renewal uh, constantly, consistently in our lives. In my teaching the Bible class, we were learning about how the brain works, and how you can you know use that to you know, positive effectiveness as a teacher, right? And so that this idea that our brain makes these little connections and it will continue, like it's supposed to do that. That's what it's naturally supposed to do and it does. But if it, it also dumps, and so if something like material is not being used or connected to, then it just gets rid of it. If it's just kind of over there, it cleans it out because you can't hold everything in your brain, right? You don't remember every stranger's face that you see or every word that you read. But if you keep using that information and recalling it, it just makes more and more connections. And that's what that makes me think about that experience you're talking about. So the more you think about something, the more you're going to see it, the more it's Mm going to become obvious. Right. I I feel like, James, you have the language for this well, and I'm not going to say it right. But the, you know, it's this archetypal story. Yeah. Right. That we see played out in Jesus' life. And that's why it just keeps showing up in all of our media. Yeah. That's like a pattern, almost like a plan, you might say. Almost as though there's some kind of uh, narrator or author to all this entire situation. <laughs> oh, uh, Master Gardener. Speaking of which, uh, what a great way to start a conversation about <laughs> something completely different. Uh, <laughs> and now for something completely different. Um, so for Ash Wednesday, we we dove into uh, the story of Cain and talked a little bit about the first city builder and how uh, that city represented a rejection of God's protection and God's presence in Cain's life. And he names it after his son, Enoch, which means inaugurate or initiate. And, and you can kind of see what Cain does there as a inauguration or an initiation of a whole new version of creation. So rather, rather than a garden, Cain builds a city. And this, I think, uh, the whole idea that, that we've been tracing here, that God plants gardens and people build cities, comes from these first 11 chapters of um, Genesis. And so we started with Cain, and now we're shifting toward uh, the Tower of Babel and the story of Babel today. Um, Jeff, you, you've recently read this story. Do you... Uh, <laughs> Deep right. personal reflection. Right. Um, as our guest here today, and as a as a trained theologian in in the Word, um, tell us some of your what's going on. What, tell us some of your initial thoughts on the story. Okay, so I have two two thoughts out of the gate about the Tower of Babel. First thought is, and it's not one of the the more appealing thoughts, but I I think it's being realistic that this story was probably told as a way to explain the fact that there are many languages yeah. out in the world uh that's just pretty popular in the way that ancient literature worked there's a a purpose to it what's etiology yep. is that yeah. what that's called yeah. mm-hmm. i knew the word would come to me so i, I was like that recently yeah i was rambling for just a minute before i could think <laughs> i think there's a, a heavy etiology aspect to this story and i think that shouldn't be discredited sure. i think we should recognize that but it's not very uh fun to mine uh, deep theological <laughs> truths if you do that but the other aspect of it is oftentimes this story is told as a way to say oh look at this human arrogance and look yeah. at how how god had to respond to the threat from mm. these humans trying to reach heaven but i don't that's not the way the story is really written instead these humans are like oh i think we got this really cool idea something we can do and they start building this tower 
and then it's it's as if God is up in the heavens and he's like, oh, wait. Oh, look at what those humans are doing. How cute. Look at them. Let us go down. That's what yeah, it says. Know, That's know. the phrase yeah. that I really like in the story of the Tower of Babel because it's it's not as if God was threatened. Right. Exactly. Yeah. From God's self uh, that people might actually be able to become God. Yeah. Yeah. God was like, okay, like I'll come, I'll see what this tower is. It's like, oh, that's really cute. Yeah. It's like if Carson, (laughs) when Carson builds something out of magnetiles, (laughs) he's like, look, we could live in this house. I'm like, yeah. And here's a strong gust of wind that's going to knock it right over. But yeah, yeah, we'll live in there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. Uh, it, it, It echoes what we see in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then God is like, well, we better get them out of here and not let them eat from the tree of life. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. It's not a threat. It's more about, um, particularly here in the Babel story, it's more about, I think, a concern for the people. Well, that's what I was just thinking about, because that in the Garden of Eden, it happens. And that's when we get that line about God walking in the cool of the evening, right? Yeah. The, they eat the fruit and then all of a sudden God's like, oh, let me... I don't know. You could read that as a let us go down. You know, yeah, God's go God's. What, what's going on? What, what you doing, buddy? <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> um, it's like we think we can get away with stuff. Yeah, right. Right. Like as as humans. And it's just on full display in my life and the kids. You know, yeah. they're oh. like they're looking back. They're like, maybe you didn't see me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we we operate the same way. You know, yeah. we're like, oh, maybe I can just cheat a little right, bit here right. i can just like cut in the line i could i mean if i steal that it's not yeah. actually steal it's just yeah. petty theft right <laughs> well, all right jeff what you've been doing all right jeff <laughs> so as long as you weren't wearing your north side name tag yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> on the way here so uh i mean i think that's exactly right a lot of it has to do with how we rationalize justify our behavior and things like that um i do find it interesting though that so i have i have Responses, I think, to both things that you said. Sure, sure. Um, I, I want to start. I want to put a pin in the language thing for just a second and come back to that. But uh, let's start with a conversation about um, the motivation behind why these people are building the city in the first place. Um, it says in the text that uh, they are doing this so that they may make a name for themselves. And we all know that in in the Hebrew Bible, name and naming things is very, Big very deal. important. Um, and again, I think this is this is uh, firmly within the legacy of what Cain is trying to do when he names his first city after uh, his son. One of the things that uh, you said, Jeff, that struck me was that you did, you said this is not about arrogance, and um, it's not about this. Uh, it's more about you know we just got an idea. Let's just try this thing. Let's do this thing. And I do think there's some level of truth to that. Uh, I don't think it's ultimately arrogance that's going on here. But what what I think motivates them is what motivated Cain to some degree is that they have a fear of uh, they have a fear of being forgotten, of being uh, unprotected, a fear of being killed. Uh, and so they, they have a fear of being restless wanderers. Their, their ultimate fear is that they'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth is what it says. Um, and I think that fear is the underbelly of all arrogance. Sure. So, right. So when somebody is incredibly arrogant or when a people are incredibly arrogant, it's generally because they have some underlying self uh, doubt or self fear of something happening that's going to expose them. They don't want to be vulnerable. Arrogance being 
somewhat uh, the opposite of vulnerability. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe I said that it's not about arrogance. I was trying to say it's not about God being threatened okay. by yeah. by humanity. Right. Um, it is. I, I do think there's a, you know, it seems that this human pride is kind of at the center of this whole downward spiral that is Genesis 1 through 11. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Each story along the way until this one that's kind of a, a whole city of folks that that jump on board with this idea of arrogance or putting their name above mm-hmm. the name of God. Yeah. Well, I think it highlights the disobedience too. Um, James, you just mentioned, I think it's verse um, verse four, right? Where they say, let's go do this, right? Let's build this tower. Otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the earth. Like they know. And then I thought that to me is in direct contrast with multiply and fill the earth, right? God has said, you know, go multiply, fill oh, the yeah. earth. Yeah. God has put you out there. You know, he's put the mark on Cain. Go, you're going to be protected. Like you're supposed to go multiply and fill this earth. That's what I've created you to do. And so this is the direct disobedience to that command. Oh, otherwise they know what's going to happen. God told yeah. us to scatter and multiply. We don't want that. We want to huddle together and protect ourselves. Yeah. Power, yeah. right? That's interesting to put it in conversation with that. Like it's a direct um, rejection of God's plan for humanity, right? Yeah. And that's kind of how we've been uh, couching this whole conversation about cities in the first place is, is that cities in, particularly within these first 11 chapters of Genesis, but I think uh, the argument can be made throughout all scripture that cities represent a rejection of God. Uh, and not always, not always. Uh, there are exceptions, but but that cities in general are usually where people have huddled together and are in some kind of rebellion against God. So, okay, you've been rocking with this city analogy for a solid six to a year. Yeah, a long time. I've been talking about it for a while. Right. Well, you know, like I just love efficiency, you know, (laughs) I love consolidation. Uh I like streamlining things. And I, I, as I was reading through this week, I did feel, uh, you saying that it was about cities are about building walls. Yes. Was kind of the, the imagery that came to mind for me. And that was the most helpful way for me to envision what you're trying to say yeah. as what is this idea of humans building cities that cities require walls yeah. and walls require us to keep other people out. Right. Right. That's the purpose of a wall. That's right. Yeah. yeah pretty yeah. much. Uh, and so, you know, this idea that a city is, Hey, I'm going to do my own thing and keep everybody else out. Yeah. Right. You're not saying we don't need consolidated power grids and you know <laughs> well and that's the one of the struggles with walking the line of this of this devotional series has been how much how much how literal and how metaphorical are we being when we talk about cities right i do think cities literally represent a fundamental need for humanity to gather keep warm protect themselves and not be scattered i do think it is there's something troubling about that in in the way that we were originally designed i don't think the answer is to like get rid of cities right (laughs) so uh let me be clear because like you i like the efficiency and the convenience of a city but it's also that those kinds of things relying on efficiency and convenience is exactly why i'm not a good gardener 
and why God is. Uh, and so the question becomes not, you know, we can't go back to the garden. That, that's over. That's done. It'll never be the case. The Garden of Eden is gone. And God doesn't ever, part of what redemption is, is not hitting a reset button. It's not, it's not saying, all right, let's start over. God, when re, in, the, in the activity of redemption, what God is doing is taking our mistakes, taking his plan, our mistakes, and making the whole thing holy somehow, making the whole thing good. And he does that by, by, through, the, through the work of redemption. And so what we get is um, a vision of New Jerusalem, which is a city in the way that we design cities, but also it has the tree of life growing in the middle of it and a river flowing through it and a garden growing in the middle of it. So you get this vision of not going back to the garden, but God saying basically what I think he was trying to say to Adam and Eve and to all of us is that I'm looking for partners in this project of creation. You know, if you guys want to build cities, let's look at how we can redeem those cities, right? Let's look at how we can do the re- work of redemption. So the question for us then today is, you know, when, I, when I'm thinking about the literalness of this uh, metaphor that I'm using, uh, is, is not, you know, let's all leave Atlanta. It's how do, we, how do we plant the tree of life here in the midst of Atlanta, you know? Well, I mean, I, that's a beautiful image that you had right there at the end. How do we plant a tree of life yeah. Where is the the living water in yes, the midst yeah. of the city? I mean, how can you allow organic life to right. to sprout within the confines of this city yeah. that we now have? Um, but I do think there's a, a certain imagery of of walls that I particularly yes. like of yeah. what's what's allowed in and what's allowed out. You know, because within the city you can figure out okay what ways do we set this up to allow life to flourish yeah yeah to be fruitful to multiply and fill the city that we now inhabit um and that idea is kind of different than the idea of cities being around okay we're not going to welcome anybody else like it's only about me and what's mine yeah which is kind of that early city mentality exactly yeah. i mean hospitality was the theme of the old testament yeah in my opinion we are oh, yeah. we're gonna dive into hospitality next week when we talk about sodom and gomorrah with dr bill what um, a fun teaser I, I do think i do think the the walls uh piece though jeff is is a good place to kind of focus um because when you think about the, when you think about babel you think about babel however you want to say it uh you, you think about two things. You know, when you think about ancient cities in general, you think about two things. And really, Babel is a is a stand-in for Babylon. And we're talking about big city walls and huge towers built throughout the entire city. Um, but this idea of of these walls keep us safe. They keep us protected. They they provide identity. You're either in the city or you're not in the city, right? Uh, and another image of that new Jerusalem, by the way, that I was talking about a second ago is that the gates are always open, which is an interesting image. When you think oh, that's about great. when you think about that's great. the way you're talking about it um, in the ancient world, those gates were always closed, right? right. I mean, like it was it was very For much a, a protection kind of thing. What I want to do is to move that literal image into a metaphorical and spiritual image into our hearts because here's what i think we do is that we take that same mentality of of building cities making things efficient making things uh protective and we put it into our own little bitty hearts Mm -hmm. right hearts and minds and we build walls we build walls to protect us from other people 
we build walls to protect us from other ideas. We protect wall, you know, we build, we build all these walls in our life to protect us from God. And uh, this image of the Tower of Babel, I think, is is instructive because I think one of the reasons why we do that is because we want to make a name for ourselves. And maybe it's maybe it's not out of sheer arrogance. Maybe it's out of if you don't have a name, you're going to be forgotten. And if you don't have a name or a mark, you might say you're not going to be protected. I mean, boiling down to fear is probably pretty good. I, I I may be wrong here, but I think I've heard a counselor once say that almost any emotion can be traced back to fear, whether it's fear of the past or fear of pain that could come in yeah. the future. Yeah. Um, and, and so much can, you know, arrogance, you're, you're worried about pain in the future. You're yep. fearful of it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the books that we read in preparation for this devotional was Andrew <clears throat> Peterson's, uh, God, God of the garden and a really a helpful practical example that he gave that I think helps with this. What we're talking about is that he, he had this group of friends and they talked about how, uh, you know, within a city, right, efficiency is kind of the God, right? We have to move fast. We have to be efficient. We have to get things done. And we tend to move through our lives with not a lot of connection with each other. You know, we go in and out of places. We just want to get things done. We don't really stop to see people or talk to people. We got we just go on our merry way, right? And so he and this group of friends made this pact where they said, okay, we're going to, we, they picked a grocery store, they picked a gas station, and they picked, you know, it was like the things, you know, a pharmacy, whatever, you know, I don't remember exactly what it was. And they said that these are the places that we're going to frequent. We're going to all choose to go to these places so that they would run into each other. And instead of moving through the world in this anonymous sort of way oh, amidst cool. the muck of people, then it becomes a situation where on a Tuesday, I might run into you, Jeff, at the grocery store. Mm. Like, it's likely that I'm going to run into right, you. Right. And that puts me in a place where I'm accountable. Like, you're part of my life more so than you would have been if we had just had to schedule time for each other. And it puts me in a place where then, like, you're truly talking to people, connecting with people. How, like, how is your day going? And mm. you, you meet people in those basic everyday life moments. And that's a beautiful example to me, right? Because of what we're talking about here. Because I can go to the grocery store and I just have that wall up and, you know, there's a homeless person sitting outside. There's, you know, someone in the milk department who's clearly having a bad day. There's a clerk that's a little snotty and I can just put a wall up and I can, I don't know these people and I can just keep moving, right? But if all those people are you, Jeff, and the other guy is you, James, then I'm going to stop and I'm going to have that moment, right? And we're going to connect. Well, if your heart is about being efficient, then people are expendable, right? Like people are just other variables in the equation of you getting the most out of your life, whatever that looks like, the most time, the most money. But I do think, you know, if you're going through the store, if you're going to the pharmacy or whatever that place is, and you just see what, how can I interact with this person as an exchange and how can I come out as positive as this exchange as necessary, then, then you don't care about that other person. And what you're doing is you're making your heart efficient. You're hardening your heart um, so that you can go yeah. quickly. Yes. Uh, and that's how we oftentimes treat anybody, our coworkers, our, our friends. And ultimately, I mean, when we see the most pain in our life is when we treat those we care about the most with efficiency. Yeah. So if you do that in your marriage or if you do that with your kids or if you do that with your parents or your siblings or other people that you love and all of a sudden you're like, okay, but I'm not really listening to you. I just need you 
to go to the grocery store to pick this up for me. Right. Yeah. Because we need to feed our family. So thank you for taking care of this to do <laughs> list for me. Yeah. It's it's using it's a good word. Uh, it is a really good word. It's um it's using people as a means rather than as an end. It's you know and it's that's that's a really good I think that's a really good way in which uh, the walls metaphor works uh, in our lives for sure. Yeah. So I want to go back to the language piece, though, for just a second. Sure. So, like you, like you uh, mentioned in, at the beginning, um, a lot of times this story is read as the here's why we have so many languages in the world. I remember as a child that's what I was taught, and I remember that being um, uh, always a, a pretty cool part of the story. Actually, when I was right. a kid, right? That now I know where languages come oh, from. Oh, right? right, yeah. Uh, however, upon a more cl- a, clo- a closer upon a closer reading. And, and more reflection. I'm I'm curious as to whether or not we can read this in a different way. I, I don't disagree with that reading at all. I think that that's probably the ideological uh, understanding of the text. But it doesn't say that. <laughs> what it actually says is that God comes down and confuses their language. And it, it doesn't say that he creates many different languages. It doesn't say that this is where all languages come from. It just says he confuses their language so much so that even though they may still speak the same language, they're still they're confused and talking past one another. Mm, and so you don't we don't need multiple languages to not understand each other, right? Well, that's we, the truth. we can sit in a room and all you need is two people trying to talk to one another and you find yourself talking past each other, not understanding one another. And there's this level of confusion that's happening that I think maybe this story is speaking to. I think what God sees here, not as threat, but as as concern, is that you put these people together, humanity together, and if they are unified with one purpose and one goal and can understand one another, there's nothing they can't accomplish, right? Which is a very positive view of humanity. It's a positive thing in the sense of like what we're capable of. And so when God comes down to confuse the language, it's not as much that he... That he uh, maybe, and again, this is this is speculative interpretation, but it's not as much that he um, gives a bunch of people different languages, but that he puts a level of confusion in our language that even if we speak the same language, we're not going to understand each other. I, I say that because I like to pair this story, as many people do, with the Pentecost story, right? Sure. To jump ahead to the end of the story. Come on. Uh, and, and to spoil the whole thing. Guess what? Jesus comes, he dies, he's resurrected. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon the people, uh, comes upon the disciples at Pentecost in Jerusalem. And one of the identifying characteristics of that event is that Peter begins to speak the gospel for the very first time. And as he's speaking, people from different places uh, and who speak different languages are all hearing in their own tongue. It's not that he is speaking in their tongue mm-hmm. or that he is speaking some language that's un- ununderstandable. It's that they're hearing in their own tongue and so that confusion that was introduced with Babel now gets removed through the Holy Spirit because again God knows that when these people get together and are unified behind one purpose there's nothing they can't do and through the Holy Spirit that's what the church is supposed to be right we're supposed to be that people who are unified with that one purpose and goal with the confidence to know that there's nothing we can't accomplish if we have that Holy Spirit with us does that make sense? Like it's a that's... really beautiful image. So I also love, you know, maybe the miracle of Pentecost and the ability of all these people to understand each other 
maybe that miracle isn't the ability to learn another language. The miracle is to hear mm. what somebody else is actually saying. Yes, yes. What a gift that would be. Oh, my gosh. That is exactly right. I mean, that is exactly right. If we look at particularly, I've said this so many times. I'm, I'm getting sick of saying it, but I'm going to say it again. <laughs> it is clear that in Paul's letters, time and time again, he's talking about the unity. He, he It's almost as though he wants to push this point to its breaking point that he wants to say, the unity of the church is the witness of the church. The unity of the church is the witness of the church. The unity of the church is the witness of the church. Right? When the world looks at us and sees that we are unified behind one Lord, one cup, one baptism, and can see that, then they know something unique and special is happening here. Because without the Spirit, there is confusion. And with the Spirit, there is unity and, and direction of purpose and things like that. And the ability, uh, Jeff, the way you just said that is, is just click something into my head, but... It is the fact that we can be a group of people who truly hear one mm-hmm. another. And we're not just con- consistently and constantly fighting each other and dividing. each dividing. So, I mean, the flip side of that is to say the church, when filled with the Holy Spirit, is a group of people that truly hear the heart of the other person. Yes. Because yeah. it's a heart yes. that is not built up of walls. Yeah. It's a heart that's completely open. Yes. Yes. I think that, I mean, that fits together so well. In fact, it's a heart that is is marked with the name of Jesus Christ rather than with its own name, right? And that's another way to talk about what they're trying to do here in Babel and what Jesus is doing in us when... Mm, that's good. When uh, when Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, another passage I go back to time and time again, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, even though he was God, you know, did not consider... Equality with God is something to be grasped, but rather emptied himself. And well, then at the then end re- of that. And then receive the name that is above all names. Not your name. Mm-hmm. And it's all under one name. Yes, and right. that name is Jesus. It's right. not our name that we're trying to build up this large tower towards. Exactly. Exactly. It all comes together. But it starts with us being willing to step away from our towers of Babel. One of the things that we we notice uh, in this text is that God doesn't destroy the tower. He doesn't destroy the city. He just confuses the language. And I, I think all of us have have built these towers in our hearts, right? Or built these walls in our hearts. So it, it all begins with being willing to, however you want to use the metaphor, kick open the gate, tear down the walls, walk away from the tower, Um Jeff, it looks like you're having some thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking it wasn't fully formed yet. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm pondering on, but these people are working on the Tower of Babel. And I, you do have to wonder what would happen, what was going to happen. And some, I don't like going too far down these yeah. rabbit trails yeah, and no, like what could be uh, in the Bible stories. But you do wonder what was it if they were working towards one goal, right? Yeah. yeah. That does seem to be the heart of God, to have people unified. So that seems to be a positive, but clearly there's some some discord, making a name for themselves instead of making a name for God, yeah, I, think that's, I yeah. suppose. But I wonder also if there was some inability to see one another that was going on yeah. in Babel, or if that's only the result mm. of of this story at the end of it. I was kind of wrestling with yeah, no, yeah. those ideas. Well, and they say in verse four, come, let us build ourselves 
a city. So you could talk about it in the sense of like, what okay, what is their purpose of what they're doing? It's not let us build a city for people who need shelter. Let us build a city for, you know, our community. But it's let me build it for myself. Right. Mm. It's a very self-centered kind of situation. Yeah. And, and so much so that and I think at the end of the day, I mean, the what the juxtaposition there, the tension there is that they're building it for themselves and not for God, right? They're not yeah, building it to glorify too. God. And you can see this, this, this relates back to the Cain story in the sense that Cain's city was a rebellion and rejection of God. This clearly is also a rebellion and rejection of God and God's plan uh, for us, God's design for us, you might say. And, and you can see that they want to distance themselves from God so much that they're not even willing to use the natural building materials that God provides, like the stones. In fact, they're going to build mm. bricks. They're going to make bricks because you know what you can do with bricks? You can control what size they are. This perfect little piece of order that we can create. Yeah. We're not going to use God's stones because, number one, we don't want to use anything God has given us. We're going to use our mm. own thing that we create. Uh, and then, and then you know, we can we can shape a brick in a way that you, maybe you can't shape a stone as precisely. Yeah. And, and, Efficient. And the best part of that story, maybe not the best part, but one of the parts I like or that gives me little little exegetical tingles is <laughs> yes is that this is uh, that, that when the Israelites in a, in a few hundred years after the story when the Israelites end up in slavery in Egypt their task is to build bricks huh. and so here the people of Babel are coming together and they're building bricks and in a sense the story is telling us that they are enslaving themselves to this project of building this city oh, and building yeah. this and building mm-hmm. this tower and there is something when we get back to what we've been talking about, Jeff and, and Elizabeth, like how fear is at the heart of, of what a lot of these walls and cities that we build for ourselves is about. But we're enslaving ourselves to fear in a, in yeah. a way that mm-hmm. that is directly, directly connected to uh, the way that sin is hunting us and the way uh, yeah, it, right. like it's this consuming. beast that is hunting us. Yep. Right? And the fear is the is the is the thing It's consuming us. So then you get to what John says in um, in First John, and that that perfect love drives out fear, and we see that love embodied in Jesus Christ. And what really is happening with this whole project called redemption uh, and and creation? I mean, there is this world where you say we build these walls because we have a fear in our heart. Yeah. But ultimately, what we're supposed to do is walk away from the towers, let the walls fall down, so that we can experience the perfect love yeah. that's seen in Jesus. And then you won't need a wall. Yeah. 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 Because I, you won't have a fear. Right. Yeah. And this goes back to the question we're trying to answer, right? What do we do? You know, we're afraid essentially of chaos, right? Things we cannot control. And the response is that we want to control them and hold them very tightly and put them in their place because we're afraid of them, right? But what does God do? God just orders it. God orders the chaos, right? The chaos still exists. The darkness is still there. It's just put in its sphere. In its proper place. Right? It's in its proper place and it can still be engaged, right? It still has a usefulness. It has a purpose. We're not. It's not in a box and put right. away and, right. you know, that's one of the things that we explored during the season of Advent was that God created light, but he didn't destroy darkness. Like darkness is still there. It still has a place, still has a purpose. Uh, and chaos still has a place and a purpose when it's put in its proper place. And that that is one of those oxymorons, paradoxes of God's creation is that chaos 
has a role within the order of creation. Well, I mean, human beings are chaos. You <laughs> know, true. I mean, look, you're just like a sack of skin and feelings, and I have no idea what you're going to do. <laughs> and right? I mean, we are the ultimate chaos to each other. I have no idea how you were going to respond to something. You know, like, and sure. it, it, I can't control your response. You know, if I'm, you know, trying to build a world with you, whether it's a church, a significant other, or a friendship, whatever it is, like, yeah. you're this unknown factor as another human being, which is why it's easier to do things by ourselves, you know? And but it's easier to treat people transactionally. Right. Yes. 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 Because you can predict a transaction. Right. If I could just carve yes. you into a brick, right? Right. I could stack you exactly where I need to stack you. Right. Exactly, right? And do exactly what I want to do with my tower. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us uh, this week. It's been a great, enlightening conversation about Babel and uh, as well as a few other things that, uh, you know, we never know where the, where the, where the path leads. Wherever the spirit right. leads here on the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. Elizabeth, thank you for being here Pleasure as to be well. Here. Folks, thank you for listening. We hope that you'll tune in next week. And, uh, you know, go tear down your your walls. I don't know. Walk away from that tower. Walk away That's from right. that tower. Tear down the walls and try to go out and understand somebody today. Mm, Through the Holy go. Spirit. All right, guys. We'll see you next week.